day, good day. Welcome to Fired Up, the WJMSRadio.com political talk show. This is Steve. I'm your host each week as we get into the mechanics of what makes our political system here in the United States work or not work, depending on the case. So we've got another busy week. Uh, Let's dive right in. And um, we will kick off just with an update on what the numbers are in the current outbreak of coronavirus, COVID-19. And just to give you some numbers, globally, there are more than 2.9 million cases that have been reported with over 203,000 people that have died from the disease. Here in the United States, we are just under a million uh, cases reported and uh, just over 54,000 people who have uh, died from the disease. So even though, as you've heard in the news, no doubt that the curve uh, overall is somewhat flattening, there are some hot spots that are now uh, still on the upswing while others uh, have passed peak and, and appear to be on the downswing. So we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about uh, the COVID-19 issues uh, later on in the show. But I do want to get into our main focus here on Fired Up, which is talking about our political system. And uh, starting it off uh, right now, in case you didn't notice, we are still uh, heading toward the national presidential elections in November. And the presumptive nominee, Joe Biden, uh, has been uh, relegated because of the uh, shutdown in public appearances to basically running his campaign uh, in a virtual fashion, uh, yet he still is showing poll numbers that place him ahead of uh, the incumbent president uh, in, the, in the national polls. Uh, the big news with the Biden campaign is the discussion is on now about you know, who he is going to choose as his vice presidential running mate. And some of the things to keep in mind, you know, there's a lot of talk about who should be his choice. Now, early on, a couple of months ago, I believe, uh, Vice President Biden uh, went on the public record stating that he would definitely name a female uh, running mate uh, for vice president. And, you know, there's been much speculation in the media since then as to who that person should be. Uh, and also whether or not it should be a person of color. Uh, That has become a very big talking point. But I wanted to give you a little bit of the background. For those of you that, that, you know, this may be your first go-around in presidential elections and dealing with a a party campaign ticket, uh, some of the thinking, some of the, the processes that go into how a vice presidential running mate is selected Uh, There are a few things that the uh, candidate at the top of the ticket uh, must consider or has to consider. And, you know, number one, this is, after all, a political position, the office of vice president. And one of the things that this person should do is to make sure that with regard to the ticket itself, that they are a help with electability. Whether that is a real help in terms of you know the region they come from in the country or their connections independent of their relationship with the uh, presidential candidate, 
you know, or things that are imagined as to who they might bring on board as part of the ticket. And, you know, these are the, the considerations uh, at the top that go into how a vice presidential running mate is selected. And depending upon how well the campaign handles that, uh, that person can either be a tremendous aid to the success of the ticket overall, or in fact can and can uh, be a, a hurt or a hindrance in some respects to the prospects of the ticket. There have been arguments raised uh, in the 2016 election that the Democratic vice presidential candidate actually was not a big help in terms of bringing additional voters to the party uh, more so than their location, the region they come from in the country, was seen as a benefit to the uh, top of the ticket. Uh, the second, and you can call it a goal, the second ideal is that, as I was just saying, they need to balance the ticket demographically. Uh, in this day and age, and particularly where we are in how politics is, is thought and the optics and how people are thinking about it, this balancing the ticket really uh, is, is becoming a focus on race and ethnicity. Uh, as, as was said, you know, Biden is committed to selecting a female to be his running mate for the uh, vice presidency uh, in the November election. The, one of the largest discussions, aside from who you know, potential candidates are, is you know, their ethnicity, their race. And there have been a lot of calls and a lot of pressure being put on the Biden campaign to actually select a person of color as his running mate. And, you know, there there are obvious advantages to that. You know, uh, the recent electoral history going back, you know, to, uh, you know, the 2007-2008 campaign and even prior to that is that minorities in this country form a key constituent, particularly in the Democratic ticket, of the Democratic base. Uh, as was shown in the primaries, you know, Biden did very well on Super Tuesday and in South Carolina because of the impact of, you know, particularly the African-American vote and women voting uh, specifically. So, you know, much consideration is given as to uh, who this candidate is and, and what groups they represent. The next ideal is that they should balance the ticket ideologically. That is, if the top of the ticket, if the presidential candidate is more toward the conservative side, then their vice president, typically they will look for someone who can balance the ticket toward the, the middle and toward the progressive side of the, of the base of the Democratic Party in this case and you know help to to encourage a broader turnout of the electorate uh, when the election time comes this too in this this day and age in our political climate right now has become you know very important and a real large concern for what needs to happen in terms of who gets selected um, another is to make sure that the vice presidential candidate will have a positive impact on the down-ballot races, particularly in this case, again, with the Senate being so close in terms of the majority and control, as well as control of the House, 
will a vice presidential candidate or a potential vice presidential candidate actually benefit the down ballot and help the party gain control of the Senate or gain additional seats in the Senate and you know maintain or expand their position in the House of Representatives. And by the same token, when we get you know further down into the ballot and we look at the races for governors, for state legislature, for even mayors and, and city councils and, and all of that, is this person a general lift to the overall Democratic ticket, both you know up and down the ballot uh, once we get to election? You know some some additional things, and you know these things kind of represent you know, the top four uh, ideals that the party is looking at. But some additional ones, some honorable mentions in that. <clears throat> Excuse me, is this person best qualified? to run the nation if the president cannot finish his term in office. And, you know, real being real, keeping it 100, you know, this is a consideration, you know, in this race as it was, you know, in many races prior. Uh, this was a concern, you know, in the Reagan era because Reagan was, you know, in, in his 70s when he was running for president. Um, so should something, God forbid, should something happen to the president, is the number two person capable to step in on day one, you know, and, and take up the office of president and handle what needs to be dealt with at the time and going forward? You know, another is, is this person a great manager who can help lead the executive branch of the government? One of the things we see right now with the current administration is a very fractured uh, leadership structure and, and leadership role. Uh, you know, there has been a nothing but controversy and, you know, uh, back and forth and a lot of just general confusion and, and kind of disarray in how the current administration has managed the day-to-day -day business of running the country. You know, it, it's been much of, you know, the, the president uh, exercising an oversized amount of control with issues and policies uh, and not relying or leaning as heavily on the people that he has surrounded himself with, his cabinet, uh, you know, his advisors. And the argument can be made that the people who are advising the president, you know, in his cabinet and in his inner circle have not really done a great job in setting a clear and concise and consistent message that goes out not only to the country but to the world. You know, America is the leader of the free world and a lot of our allies and even our adversaries look to see how the decision process happens here and what, you know, is going on in terms of who is saying what, are they contradicting each other? And that sends signals all around the world as to how America is perceived. So that ties into the next one. Uh, is this person well-versed in policy? Do they understand the laws of this country? Do they understand the Constitution? Do they understand the responsibilities that America has to its citizens, to it, the states, and to the, the world in a, in a bigger sense? And, you know, that too as we have seen in the past three years, has been an issue with the current administration. Uh, it, it has become clear 
that to some extent the the president and many of his advisors are not really well grounded in the constitution in you know constitutional powers and authorities and in you know what the policies of the United States are and have been that you know we must adhere to you know so there's a whole range of issues related to policies and procedures that the president and vice president as well as you know all of the the elected officials need to be versed in in order to make sure that they can fully and correctly execute the office that they hold and lastly um, but no less important is you know is this person uh, the best choice to become the next in line presidential candidate for the party you know unlike other countries in the world you know for example you know if we compare us with Great Britain uh, they have a monarch there and their their monarchy is passed through a family and you know Queen Elizabeth has been sitting on the throne in England as Queen for you know more than 50 years and you know we in America we have a term limited leadership uh, particularly presidential and vice presidential where they cannot hold more than two consecutive uh, four-year terms ever so you know we will automatically transition to new leadership uh, whether it's within the same party or with within the other side party um, based on you know those term limits and as a result the person who was selected to be vice president really should be someone who we can look at you know four years or eight years down the road and say yes this is the person the most logical person to step into the role of president uh, and be elected there uh, in when that time comes so you know there's a lot on the table for who uh, Biden will choose as his vice presidential running mate and, you know, as I also said, there's been a lot of talk in the media about just who the, the woman is who is going to become uh, Biden's running mate. And, you know, there are a couple of lists out there um, that they've already begun doing the top 10 best choices and, and all of that in terms of the people that the Biden campaign is most likely looking at uh, for their selection for vice president. And just running them down in no particular order but the the people that occupy the or the ladies that occupy the top 10 positions on this this selection list uh, include the following um, you know we've got Stacey Abrams who uh, was a gubernatorial candidate in Georgia um, who due to some allegedly questionable tactics done by her running mate, um, won't get into that point, uh, we already talked about that, uh, but in the, in the interim since then, she has become a very outspoken and, and magnetizing fig figure and has, has really been out there stating that she wants to be Biden's running mate. So uh, she, she brings a lot of energy to the ticket. Uh, she is African-American, so she, she checks off the the race and ethnicity block. So, you know, she is uh, among the top 10 candidates. Um, another is a senator from Wisconsin uh, that you don't hear about much, um, hasn't gotten a whole lot of press coverage, 
but still has you know a a very strong uh, winning record in, in terms of being elected in a pivotal swing state, and that's Tammy Baldwin, uh, the senator from Wisconsin. So, you know, as I said, she has not gotten a lot of media attention. However, she has a strong record of, of winning and a strong uh, record um, in, in, in her term in Senate. And, you know, at that too, she is a sitting senator that brings that national level leadership into play. Uh, another one uh, is Tammy Duckworth. And, you know, she has a very strong appeal for a, a national candidate. Uh, Tammy Duckworth is a decorated and wounded military veteran, um, and she has just set all kinds of firsts during her time in elected office, uh, not the least of which is she's the first senator, first sitting senator, to give birth to a child while serving in office. So, you know, she brings a wide range of experience, both as a former military uh, veteran and as a, a mother uh, to the ticket and can be a valuable asset to the president in terms of those issues. Uh, another one who has, has risen up into the list is uh, Gretchen Whitmer, and she is the governor of Michigan. Um, she is not without a little bit of controversy, and you know she's uh, been involved in some of the notable uh, publicity uh, surrounding the COVID. Yeah the coronavirus, COVID virus going on, and, you know, in, in her response to the protesters that have been happening in her state. Uh, but, you know, she is, you know, a, a strong candidate and, you know, has a lot of potential in terms of serving as a great running mate for Biden. Uh, another one who you may not have heard about uh, Keisha Lance Bottoms. Keisha is the mayor of Atlanta, Georgia, and you know she, in 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 response to her public battles with Georgia's governor Brian Kemp uh, about the issues to reopen the state, she has uh, gotten a lot of press lately, and her uh, notoriety or her fame has risen in the polls and and in the attention. Um, and then, you know, we have, you know, obviously Elizabeth Warren, a uh, former Democratic presidential candidate uh, who was among the last uh, four candidates standing in the, in the Democratic primaries. Um, she's got the highest, you know, profile possibly of any of the vice presidential hopefuls. And, you know, she does also check off that box about balancing the ticket as she brings a little more progressive lean to the administration, which is appealing to both uh, the base of Dem Democrats as well as a good chunk of the independents. Uh, and then here's one, an another, another lady, uh, Susan Rice, who was the former national security advisor under President Barack Obama. Uh, very, very, very strong woman in terms of her understanding of policy and procedure and politics. Uh, you know, she's got an experienced voice on, you know, America's role internationally, particularly from a national security standpoint and a diplomatic standpoint. So, you know, she would bring a very broad experience base into the Democratic uh, leadership uh, as vice president. 
Um, another name that you may not have heard uh, to this point is Catherine Cortez Masto. And, you know, like, you know, uh, Tammy Baldwin, she has struggled to get a whole lot of press. Um, you know, in fact, that the 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 COVID-19 story has just sucked so much air out of the, the media landscape. Uh, but she's one of the highest ranking Latina elected officials in the country. And she's got a, you know, a, a major promoter in the uh, former Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid has endorsed her as, as his choice and is supporting her in her efforts to become Vice President. Um, Amy Klobuchar, another former uh, presidential uh, hopeful in the Democratic primary, uh, sitting senator from uh, Minnesota. Uh, she has you know, proven that she can deliver votes uh, she brought Biden, Biden, his victory in Minnesota, and you know she is told that um, she is one of Biden's top choices to be his vice presidential running mate. Now, you know there may be some political downside to that in terms of you know her policies and and uh, things like that. But, you know, she would check would check off, you know, the leadership box and, you know, some experience boxes and so forth. So another good uh, potential choice for a vice president pick by Joe Biden. And then uh, the, the last one, you know, not in any particular order again, uh, Senator Kamala Harris from California, obviously another former Democratic presidential candidate. Uh, Kamala Harris brings a law enforcement background as a former attorney general and prosecutor in California. Uh, she brings and, and checks off the ethnicity box, being African-American. Uh, she is a, a force to be reckoned with. Uh, even though she did not stay uh, to the end in terms of the Democratic primaries, uh, she brought energy and discussion of some key issues that are important to the Democratic Party to the table. And she would be a strong policy and procedures uh, addition to the Biden White House. And, you know, that is, is another strong reason why, you know, she is listed on the top 10 candidates uh, that Joe Biden should consider. So, you know, it, it, it's a it's a, a, a broad range of people, uh, women who, with, with a large amount of experience in different areas, any one of which arguably would be a good addition to what you know, former Vice President Biden brings to the table, uh, would help balance the ticket, would generate interest, and, and hopefully turn out voters. So we, we will see. You know, we will keep checking. I will bring you updates as to how the list is progressing and, you know, what the potential candidates are, who the short list becomes, and we will see what happens and how that all works through. So, you know, that being said, uh, let's take our first break here. And when we come back on the other side, we're going to dive into talking a little bit more about uh, the COVID-19 impacts on our country and we're going to get into, you know, the political games of the week that have occurred in the last uh, week since our show. And we got a couple of doozies in that. So 
Stay tuned. We'll be right back after this break. You're listening to Fire It Up right here on WJMSRadio.com. This is Steve. We'll see you right after the break. Yes, I close my eyes and I can see the world that's waiting up for me that I call my own. And through the dark, through the door, through where no one's been before, but it feels like home. Whoa, they can say, they can say it all sounds Can say I've lost my mind. Yeah. And I don't care, I don't care, so call me crazy. And we can live in a world that we
Welcome back to Fired Up right here on WJMSRadio.com. This is Steve, your host, and we are continuing with our discussion of all things political systems. So moving over and talking a little bit about the uh, coronavirus, COVID-19, we can't have any discussion of anything news related uh, in our country at this time without bringing COVID into the discussion Uh, Some of the things that are coming out in the news that are important for you to know in case you haven't been paying attention, and frankly, I don't know how you couldn't not be paying attention. Uh, You know, one is that there have been reports coming out of the Centers for Disease Control or the CDC that uh, this is not going to be a one-and-done type thing, that we are going to see a uh, resurgence of COVID-19 in the fall just as with you know the the influenza that we see year over year generally we will get an outbreak uh you know in the winter at the start of the year and then again as the season turns colder in the fall another will break out so you know we will see and and the cdc is saying that you know if we are not diligent in maintaining our practices and and being prepared in our response rate and testing rates that that outbreak could eclipse what we are currently going through uh, in this one. So, you know, something that we need to be aware of. And, you know, we can't just forget about the things we need to do to make sure that we are protected as, you know, individuals. Um, you know, it, this will be, you know, uh, an, an outbreak that will coincide with the annual flu season outbreak. So there, there could be a double whammy, and the impacts on our medical systems could be even more extreme than, than they are right now. Um, you know, as we talked about at the start of the show, we gave you some numbers on you know, the current uh, number of cases. Uh, you know, we, are, we are just shy of one million cases here in the U.S. with more than 54,000 people who have died from the disease. Uh, you know, the U.S., is accounting for nearly half of the global uh, cases of the coronavirus that are occurring in the world. And, you know, our totals are more than the next four countries in the list combined. So, you know, it is a a big, big problem here in our country and it's something that we need to stay on top of and be aware of and not just, uh, you know, run off and, and try and go back to what used to be normal. Normal is not going to be the same, ladies and gentlemen. It, we are going to have to incorporate, you know, things like social distancing, things like, uh, you know, wearing masks in public and being aware of our surroundings and the surfaces we touch while in public, even more than we should normally be. Uh, as a result of, as I also said, that the the um, infection curve and the death rate curves in some areas are coming down. In the last week, 10 days, there's been a lot of discussion about states reopening uh, their businesses and, and, you know, and areas uh, that have been on shutdown for the past month or six weeks or so. Uh, most notably, this past weekend, Georgia reopened uh, you know, hair salons, barber shops, uh, bowling alleys, massage parlors for you know, people to go to. 
And you know, there's been a lot of issue raised about the wisdom of that choice. Uh, many people uh, are critical of Georgia's rolling open these, these venues, given that by their very nature, they require close contact between you know, individuals. You cannot cut someone's hair from six feet away, uh, nor can you do their nails, and I don't know how you give someone a massage from six feet away. You know, you, you go to a bowling alley and not only are you, you know, putting your feet into shoes that are shared across, you know, any number of people in the population, but then you've got the bowling balls themselves where you're placing your hands, you know, into those finger holes. So there are, there are some inherent issues with the type of businesses that need to be open and, you know, or, or can be open more accurately and exactly how that process should work. Uh, it's been a major discussion point among the nation's governors. Uh, New York Governor Cuomo has been very, very uh, upfront and out front with it, saying that his concern is, you know, if venues are opened in New York, it's going to draw people from the surrounding states that are also heavily impacted with the virus, such as New Jersey and Connecticut and even Massachusetts and Rhode Island. And, you know, that's a big concern. You know, it, it is something that we have to look at and that we have to be getting information from our local and state leadership is to see how exactly, you know, plans to, you know, partially uh, open up the state, how that's going to work, what's going to be involved, who's going to be at risk, and all of these issues. So more we need to talk about that, and we will continue to track that for you as well and bring you updates and information as it becomes available to us. And, you know, the other thing that has been in the news lately related to COVID-19 are so-called encapsulated populations. And particularly among those are, you know, nursing homes and long care, uh, long-term care facilities, particularly for our elderly, and prisons. Uh, what has come out in the news most recently is that in the, the example of prison populations, that you know they are being dramatically hit with coronavirus COVID-19 cases. And if you look at it, you gotta, you gotta figure, here are facilities where there could be thousands of people uh, in close proximity to each other, no real way uh, to socially distance, um, you know, and you know, limited access to medical treatment inside the prison uh, that you know, a, a virus like this can just spread like wildfire. And I've seen reports coming out of some prisons in, in some states where infection rates are as high as 75%. So, you know, keep in mind that the infection rate here in the U.S. is about 1 million people, you know, a little bit less than that, uh, in a population of some 330 million people. So when you have, you know, 1,900 prisoners out of a 2,500 prisoner uh, population that are testing positive for COVID-19, that's a huge problem. That's a huge medical problem that, you know, needs to be addressed and is getting more and more attention. So it, it just goes to, to reinforce the idea that as much as we would love to get back to what normal used to be, to be able to, you know, to go to the malls, to go to, to bars and restaurants, to go to the club, to attend concerts and sporting events. 
these items, these venues are going to have to take a whole different approach to how they handle you know, their customers under the, the you know, COVID-19 protocols. So you know, make sure that you are you know, paying attention to your state, uh, paying attention to your local governments, you know, checking your local news, finding out what's opening, you know, where it's opening, what the conditions are, and then at the end of the day, do a hard assessment. You know, is it necessary for me to put myself at risk to you know, go spend an evening bowling? Now, you may love bowling. I like bowling. But I'm not going to put myself and my family at risk, you know, to roll a ball down an aisle. You know, it, it just isn't worth the potential cost of it. You know, there, there are many of us have someone in our families or know someone, uh, either through work or social connection, who is impacted, you know, with, you know, COVID-19. You know, I, I know personally at least four or five people that have become infected with the disease and you know it is out there and we need to make sure that we are being protected uh, by our officials as well as protecting ourselves uh, to make sure that we don't acquire this disease so it goes without saying that you know the the best approach is the smart approach you know make sure that when you're going out in public that you're wearing your mask that you know you're wearing gloves that you're practicing, you know, that, that safe distance spacing, uh, no matter what the venue is. Uh, it is. It is really, at the end of the day, it, we have to take care of ourselves. You know, it's important to know what our elected leaders are doing about this, this pandemic, but at the end of the day, the responsibility belongs to us to make sure that we keep ourselves and our family safe. Um, so, you know, word to the wise on that one. Um, another topic to cover and we want to talk about is what has been the response from our government in terms of the impacts to the American people of this illness. Right now, uh, the last time I saw numbers, which was a few days ago, uh, there are some 40 million people who are uh, applying for or actively on unemployment whether their jobs have been you know, shut down for a period of time due to the virus because the business itself is closed, or you know, whether it is a, a reduction in force, which I can speak to personally, uh, where jobs are being eliminated uh, as part of the precautions against COVID, but also as part of business strategies to help you know, stabilize the economy and to stabilize the finances of a business, uh, which I get, but, you know, it still means that, you know, many people out there are now without a job through no fault of their own. Um, you know, our government has uh, passed several pieces of legislation which have been signed into law. Uh, the first one, known as Phase 1, was where every eligible person, you know, under, under certain criteria, received a payment of $1,200 directly to them from the government to help soften the blow of you know the 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 unemployment that's occurring due to due to this virus, supplement to that there was an additional package which proposed additional monies to be added on top of the unemployment insurance for those who are in unemployment, uh, where you could receive for a period of 13 weeks a $600 per week 
uh, payment from the government on top of what you get for unemployment. Again, you know, it's intended and it should be noted uh, with gratitude that this, these were bipartisan and continue to be bipartisan efforts by both Democrats and Republicans in order to assist the American people. So, you know, all things real, we need to give them, give them credit for that, that they are in fact working together to, to at least provide some assistance to the people. Um, but that's not to say that you know these have not been fraught with questions and confusion. Uh, you know, at one point, I think as I mentioned last week, uh, the payment checks were delayed because the president wanted to have his signature imprinted on all the checks. Don't know why, but you know, well, I know why. But you know, he wanted to be able to you know have that out there. Um, Another piece of legislation that is working its way through the House uh, is to add an additional $2,000 to this, you know, supplemental income payment coming out to the American people. Uh, that bill is working its way, you know, through the Senate. I believe the Senate has passed it as of the recording of this show, and it is due to be brought up in the House for consideration likely this week. Uh, so we'll keep you posted on how that works out and, you know, any information that we can pass along on that. Uh, there was another bill that was brought up in the House. Uh, not quite sure how that one is progressing, but this was one that would basically institute a moratorium on rent and mortgage payments for, you know, Americans who are out of work due to COVID-19 as well as uh, for building owners and landlords uh, on their mortgages uh, for their properties uh, to help keep you know, those uh, individuals afloat. Because uh, obviously you know, rent and mortgage are among the largest uh, components of everyone's monthly expenses. So you know, that, you know, we'll, we'll see how that one progresses. Um, side note, uh, one of the, the entities that would be requesting a benefit from this would be the uh, Trump-owned hotels in, in various locations around the country uh, where the hotel is owned by companies that are owned by Donald Trump, which means that you know, those companies would be asking the federal government, i.e. Donald Trump, to give them relief from their mortgage payments. So we'll, we'll, con we'll continue to follow how that one plays out. Uh, that one kind of falls also into our political games category, which we're going to jump into next. Um, so, you know, there are bills both at the federal and state level that are out there or coming out there where our elected officials are doing what they're supposed to do, and that is working on our behalf as our leaders in government. Okay, so while there's been some good news that has come out of you know government both federal and state uh, that's not to say that there aren't you know games being played and and political strategies and ploys being pushed out there one of the ones that came up last week or in the week since our last show is that the senate leadership particularly mitch mcconnell uh has been uh looking at uh a a rule change or a law change that would allow states to file for bankruptcy in order to assist them 
and restructuring their finance as they, like the federal government, are you know, bleeding money in terms of the costs of battling the COVID-19 disease and the reduction in revenues from state taxes uh, where people are out of work, basically not getting a paycheck, therefore money's not being generated into the state uh, treasuries. Um, you know, McConnell has, has put out there that in his opinion, states should be allowed to file for bankruptcy uh, in order to help protect the U.S. economy. Uh, and, you know, in addition to that, he has, you know, laid the opposition to this process, um, you know, on so-called blue states, i.e. democratic states, uh, that are, are, in his words, pushing this narrative of fighting the ability for states to, to declare bankruptcy. So, you know, basically the argument has been, and, and what has been pushed out in the media, and it should be noted that even conservative media is kind of looking at this process with a side eye, um, you know, is, is there a fundamental lack of understanding of, you know, what the American economy is built on? You know, does, does Mitch McConnell understand and fully grasp the fact that the American economy is actually the collection of the state economies that happen? So if a state files bankruptcy and basically, you know, stops paying its due share into the federal government, uh, that's actually going to impact in a negative manner significantly the U.S. economy which in, ten, in turn is going to impact the stock market, it's going to impact global markets, it's going to impact our, our credit rating among the, the world banks and, and financial institutions. So there is a whole range of dominoes that would fall if this state bankruptcy policy were to become law of the land, if, if the laws were changed to allow states to file for bankruptcy. So, you know, I, I think in, in my opinion, you know, I, I had to look at this one and go, what were you thinking or what are you thinking that this is any way an improvement over the current economic position we find ourselves in? Uh, the one thing to keep in mind, ladies and gentlemen, is that no matter what crises happen, and, you know, for, for those of you who are older among, among the listeners, we've been through some really bad economic situations over the decades and for you younger folks you know who, who may be just coming into your voting age now or you know your millennials or gen x gen y gen z uh, you may recall what this country went through in 2007 and 2008 with the so-called great recession where you know the the housing market took a huge hit the banking market was devastated you know automotive industry all kinds of, of businesses and states took huge economic hits as a result of an economic uh, downturn. So, you know, again, it's about being in, in touch with your elected officials, being aware of what's going on, digging in, finding the facts, getting the details. You know, don't just accepting your news from one source, no matter what that source is, including me, and making sure that you understand what the underlying issues are so that you can address them you know, locally uh, in your state and at the national level. Just goes back to how you know, even though 
COVID-19, the coronavirus, is just consuming so much of the news cycle day over day over day. Uh, there are other things going on that we need to make sure we're aware of so that you know things aren't being done you know under the cover of darkness or you know behind closed doors or things that we're not aware of that are going to have just a devastating impact on the population at large so as we often say you know dig wider dig deeper get educated get informed make your decisions and definitely fact check uh, what you hear in the news you know make sure you're checking to find out what the real story is so We'll talk a little bit more. Uh, I do want to talk about, you know, again, these, these uh, encapsulated communities. You know, these are, are areas where the risk of COVID-19 is high and the ability of these institutions, such as long-term care and nursing home, assisted living facilities, uh, you know, have, have been hit very hard. Let's not forget that there is a significant veterans population that is being impacted by COVID-19 for all the same reasons. You know, so we need to make sure that we are paying attention to these and that you know, we are, are exercising our voice with our elected officials to make sure that they are addressing these and not just letting them go by the wayside. All right, so not all gloom and doom. I do want to take just a moment here in this segment uh, to make sure that you know, we are passing along our acknowledgement and the acknowledgement of the public to those people who, who fall under the umbrella of first responders, uh, the people who are out there on the front lines, uh, yeah, the doctors, nurses, the people who are you know, doing 12-hour shifts you know, you know, all week long who are working long hours yet still finding time to do things to help other people, our firefighters, our police, our EMS uh, people, and you know, the, uh, the other people that keep our day-to-day -day existence going. You know, the people that deliver your FedEx packages, uh, the people that deliver your food, uh, you know, sanitation workers, uh, as I said, police and fire, our mail carriers, they are all still out there still you know, facing out into the public, still walking into areas where the, the uh, pandemic may still be raging. So you know, we need to make sure that we acknowledge their efforts, uh, that we you know, say thank you, that we tell them that we appreciate the fact that they are helping to keep us going during this crisis time. So just wanted to pass my thoughts of thanks along to all of those people and many more who are out there, you know, still, still out there in the public, still out there facing the risk. You know, just to let you guys know out there, if you're listening, it is appreciated, it is noticed, and we are thankful for you. So we'll, uh, we'll take a quick break here and then come back and do our call to action segment. And I do have a couple of things I want to go through in that. So we'll be right back after the break. You're listening to Fire It Up on WJMSRadio.com. This is Steve. We'll see you right back after the break. Know it's hard. There's 
Bless your heart, no, I love you for that. Honest and selfless. I don't know if this helps it, but good job. You're doing a good job, a good job. You're doing a good job, don't get too down. The world needs you now. Know that you matter, 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 yeah. You're doing a good job, a good job. You're doing a good job, don't get too down. The world needs you now. Know that you matter, 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 yeah. Six in the morning, as soon as you walk through that door, everyone needs you again. The world's out of order, it's not a sound when you're not around. All day on your feet, harder, keep that energy I know. And it feel like the end of the road You don't let go You just press forward You're the engine that makes all things go Always in disguise, my hero I see a light in the dark Smile at my face when we all know it's hard There's no way to ever pay you back Bless your heart, no Welcome back. Welcome back to the Call to Action segment here on Fire It Up. This is Steve. We're here on WJMSRadio.com. And just wanted to give you some quick points to uh, keep in mind, some things to do, some homework assignments, if you will. Uh, First and foremost, the census. We are in the midst of our census period in terms of of filing and, and reporting the count of people living in this country. Uh, every 10 years, this is done. Uh, so please make sure that you are going to uh, 2020census.gov and filling out the census form. Remember, it does not specifically identify you as an individual, but it just counts the number of people in your household. So make sure that you fill it out. 
your highway funding, your hospital funding, most important now, your roads, your schools, all kinds of federally funded projects that come into your community are tied to information that is gained from the census count that happens every 10 years. So please make sure you go to 2020census.gov and fill out that form. That's vitally important. The next one, uh, call to action, is we want to make sure that you know you are in fact registered to vote. There's been a lot of discussion of late uh, in in the political realm about uh, absentee ballots and mail-in ballots. Uh, a lot of states are looking at, if not already, changing the rules around the ability for citizens to request an absentee ballot to avoid uh, standing in you know ballot lines and, and ballot machines and, and all of the potential risk uh, for COVID-19. As a side note, you should be aware that Wisconsin fought, the, the Republican Party fought and got thrown out the request by the governor to extend the deadline. And as a result, you know, thousands of people went to the polls in Wisconsin. And, you know, uh, as of early last week, there are at least seven known cases just in Wisconsin related specifically to voting, including uh, polling place workers as well as people who were there. And they're still doing the tracking and tracing to see if there are additional people who may have become infected as a result of going to a polling place. Now, this does place us in kind of a conundrum. Uh, while we want to make sure that we're getting out to vote, we also absolutely need to make sure that we are protecting ourselves and our families from exposure to the COVID-19 virus while you know it, this pandemic is going on. So, you know, the the clear thing is. You know, reach out to your voter registration uh, system right now and find out what the rules are for your state in terms of obtaining an absentee ballot. Several state legislatures are looking at amending their absentee ballot laws to basically be uh, no fault or, or you know, without reason request. That is, you can request an absentee ballot uh, without having to fall under some of the criteria that the states may already have in place. You know, as a reminder, we talked last week about Texas and some of its most restrictive uh, voter access laws coming under fire. And, you know, we still have not seen a resolution to that yet. Uh, we will keep an eye out for it and bring that to you as soon as it comes out. Uh, but, you know, if, if you need to make a choice as to whether, you know, your putting yourselves at extreme risk of COVID-19 as opposed to being able to get out and, and get your ballot cast, please make sure you check into absentee or mail-in ballot uh, rules in your state and you know try your best to get that in place to make sure that you are able to vote. All right, and the final call to action really just ties into all of it that you know we are still under this pandemic uh, even though you know we are hearing talk about states relaxing their restrictions uh, everyone needs to exercise their own good common sense in terms of you know how they protect themselves in this this time of contagious disease and you know just do what seems like the right thing to do 
if you have to go out in public now most communities uh, a lot of stores uh, you know where, where I live you can't enter just about any store without wearing a mask and or gloves um, you you really need to make sure that you mask up and glove up uh, when you go out in public continue the frequent hand washing continue you know keeping distance between you and other people avoiding groups uh, generally more than 10 people and you know just making sure that your your eyes are up and you're looking around to see what's going on around you uh, the the news coming out of you know both the health officials and the state the governors and everyone is that one of the reasons our infection curve is in fact flattening out to some extent is the impact of the social distancing the hand washing and all the precautions that we're taking so we need to make sure that we maintain that so that we can keep us and our loved ones safe and on that note we will call our show for today thank you for tuning in as always i appreciate it you're listening to fire it up right here on wjmsradio.com my name is steve I look forward to seeing each and every one of you and, and talking to you in seven days. Until then, please stay safe and stay healthy. I will talk to you again in seven days. Wherever you stand, calling every woman, calling every man. We're the generation we can't afford to wait. The future started yesterday, and we're already late.